Good morning, everybody. How is everyone this morning? Hopefully everyone is doing well. And uh, we are well on our way into a new year. And uh, as I said in the video, if you uh, are, are joining with us either here in house or at home, if you'd let, let us know where you're are joining us from and fill out the uh, connection card there at cchmd.com slash connect, uh, we would love to be able to, uh, to connect with you with that. And uh, those jump to a different slide, David, if you can give me that, that'd be great. Um, also, if you want to follow along today with uh, today's sermon, uh, you can do so on the YouVersion Bible app. And I believe today's sermon is how to talk to our father, how to talk to our father. And uh, so we are going to uh, continue on in our Here and Now ser- series as we kind of walk a little bit here uh, through, through the next couple weeks through the Sermon on the Mount. And so we will uh, be getting into that here shortly. Uh, 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 one prayer request to come in, uh, kind of an update about Amy Stevens and Michael Elgin. Uh, a prayer request from uh, Mary Klein. Both of them have come home from the hospital. Uh, they are uh, still kind of on oxygen for themselves, uh, but they're able to also breathe on their own. So there's the op- oxygen support uh, with that. Um, also, uh, we prayed uh, last week for, for uh, uh, Bobby Benner's uh, uncle Mike, and he is also doing better. And uh, so we need to kind of continue to pray for them as they continue to recover and, and, and that God would give them strength and healing in these days ahead. And so before we go any further in our service, let's, uh, let's pause and go to God in prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are our Father, that we can come to, we can bring to uh, our request, we can bring to you our heart, we can bring to you uh, the needs that we have. Father, you hear us, that you long to uh, have this time with us. So Father, we thank you for the privilege of prayer, that we can come before you and share with you whatever is on our heart, knowing that you will hear us, that you will answer us. Father, help us to trust that you hear us and answer us, even when you don't answer the way we want you to. But even when uh, there, there may be silence, and even when there seems to be distance, Father, we pray that you would just let us know of your presence. Help us to trust that you are always there. Father, we thank you that you have uh, brought Amy and Michael and, and Mike uh, out of uh, some, some difficult places. And that, Father, even as they still have a road to go in their recovery, would you, would you be their healer? Would you be uh, their comfort? Would you be their strength? Would you be with their families that are around them, that you would uh, give them strength to help them in their recovery process? Father, I pray that you'd be with us now. As we open scriptures, we open your word, would you give us uh, guidance? Would you give us wisdom? Would you help us to gain understanding that we could go from here today and be able to share with those around us your love, your grace in a better truer way. You would use us to help others see and know Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen. Have you ever thought about the history of communication? I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure it's probably something you think about often, but if you, if you think back in time, if you think back throughout history, there, there was a point in time when we were an oral society, right? When if you wanted anything shared, if you wanted anything known, you had to speak it to someone else. And so we shared our history. We shared our stories to each other orally. We would tell stories around the campfire at night. We would tell stories about, about who we are, about where we came from, about where we see ourselves going. And if you wanted to have any kind of conversation, if you wanted to have any kind of communication with someone, you had to be face-to-face with them. You had to look them in the eye and tell them what you wanted to tell them. There was a point in time when we were an oral society. And, and then 
it, with this, it kind of kept our social circles and our influence quite small. Because there's only a certain number of people that you could live around. There's only a certain number of people who could be within the sound of your voice. Eventually, though, we developed written language. And so we were able to archive our history. We were able to write it down and pass it from generation to generation. We were able to, to, to edit our words. We were able to, to, to think about them and ponder them and consider, or is this really what we want to share? Is this really what we want to say to those around us? And so kind of with that, it helped lead to development in wisdom. It led to uh, uh, development in communication with one another. We, we had a, a easier ways to, to, to think about and to dwell on our thoughts and to pass down the information we wanted to share. With written language, it eventually led to the development of the printing press. And, and with that, we were able to mass produce um, major works, the works that were, were very important to, to us and to our society and to, to our culture. And that's how we get scripture. That's how we get scripture. Can you, can you imagine what it would be like if you had to travel to a certain place to either read or have the Bible read to you? I mean, the, 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 those in the past who, who, who ne- never had a copy of their own Bible would be just in shock and all that not only do we have it in, in this printed form, but we also have it in this, maybe on a screen that we can carry around with us. If we have access to the Bible whenever and wherever we want it. It's, it's amazing how communication has grown. In recent years, in recent history, we've seen the development of, of the telephone, of radio, and of television. And you're thinking, Mike, the, the, the telephone's been around for over 100 years, but if you think about the, the length of time that, that, uh, that, we, we, that humans have, have walked this earth, it's re- relatively a short amount of time that we've had television and radio and TV. And, that, and with that, you, didn't, you no longer had to be in a specific location to hear someone's voice, to communicate with someone, to be at an event. I've, I've watched far more sports on TV than I ever ha- have had in person. It's interesting as you think about the history of even, of even those technologies, how telephone went from there being just a few lines that, that, that were shared between houses and locations to every house having a dedicated line. Or then you have you know, you had the, the old handset that was connected to the wall by a wire. And then you went to a wireless headset. And now we walk around with these supercomputers in our pocket, right? The, the, these, these mobile phones that have more computing power than the computers that helped man land on the moon. That, does that just blow your mind? I think it was Josiah this week who asked me, Dad, can I fly to the moon with your phone? Not so much, bud, but, 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 but there's more computing power in the phone than on the computers that were on uh, the, the moon lander. And if you think about it, over the, the past few months, we've used and harnessed the technology of television to be able to share our worship services with those who are at home. In March, when we, had to, when we could no longer meet in person, all of a sudden we had to put things together so that we could still meet on a weekly basis. Whether it was at the same time, it was definitely in a different location, and, and, and I don't know about you, but I dressed a whole lot more comfortably you know, when, I was, uh, when we were worshiping together at home. We would, we, we, we've used camera and, and, and the vehicle of the internet to share our services, to share worship with, one, with those who are at home, with those who are ill, those who are unable uh, to, to come 
to an in-person service. So those who just feel safer to worship from home these days. See, these vehicles of communication, well, they have changed. The true purpose of communication hasn't. Communication always has been a means to create connection, a means to create intimacy. And as citizens of the kingdom of God, Jesus wants to help us create a connection and intimacy with God, our Father. And to do so, he gives us the privilege of prayer. And so if you would, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to look at verses 5 to 15. It's, it, we, this is the kind of middle section of the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, especially in this section, that Jesus is comparing and contrasting religion for show that he calls hypocrites with, with the, the, the religion, with, with, the, with the actions of his disciples that are truly uh, should be, this is how we should live out as members, as citizens of his kingdom. And so we, we, we see as Jesus goes through uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount, he's saying, this is how life in my kingdom should be. Here's how you should serve one another. Here's how you should act with one another. Yeah, here's, how, here's how you should be, get angry with one another. Here's how you, here's how you resolve things. Here's, here's how things play out if you want to be a good citizen, if you want to you know, uh, live in my kingdom. And so we come to this section today that teaches us how to pray. It's often called the Lord's Prayer, but it's probably better described as the model prayer. In, in Luke, uh, the disciples will come to Jesus and say, hey, uh, 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 teacher, will you teach us how to pray like John taught his disciples? And Jesus will use very much these same words. And so we could also call this the disciples' prayer. Jesus gives us this prayer as a, as a model about how to communicate with the Father. Whatever we choose to call it, it's an example of communication with God through prayer. Proof that communication is essential for connection. This is what Matthew writes down for us. Jesus said, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room. Close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Jesus starts this description of prayer, first of all, by saying, hey, here's, here's how you shouldn't pray. This is the negative example. And he says, do not be like the hypocrites. Do not be like the hypocrites. If you, if you want to connect with God through prayer, this is not the way to do it. And the word hypocrite would refer to an actor. It would refer to an actor. Uh, in, in, in Greek and Roman plays, uh, you could... One person could play multiple parts. 
in a similar play. You could tell what part they were playing at the time based on what mask they were holding up. And at the time, women were not allowed to act on stage. And so a man would have to play the part of a woman. And so you could tell that the man was playing the part of a woman. Maybe he would change his voice. But he would definitely change his mask. And all of a sudden, you could tell he was playing a different role. So on the stage, it was fine because maybe they only had a certain number of people who were uh, qualified to act, or a certain number of people who were uh, a part of a certain acting troupe. But when we wear that same stage off, when you wear that same mask off the stage, what reveals you is a deceiver. You begin to live life behind a facade. You, you hide behind a mask. You're not showing your authentic self. See, the religious hypocrite is one who goes through the motions of faith externally, but internally has no real connection. They go through the, the steps. They, go through, they, they, they walk the walk externally, but inside there is no real connection with God. And Jesus says they make up for their lack of intimacy with God with public demonstrations of faith. What would they do? They would go and they'd stand on the street corner and pray. In ancient Judaism, there was, they had some certain uh, uh, hours and certain times of the day where they would meet to pray. And oftentimes, they would go to the temple. They would meet together in the temple and, and observe these hours, observe these times together. And so sometimes, people would be on their way to the temple to pray, and instead of just showing up late, they would stop wherever they were at, and they would show their, their faith. They would show their, um, their, 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 their holiness by standing on the street corner and praying. And Jesus says, you know, they, they did so to be thought highly of by, by others. And they've already received their reward in full. They would, they would go and they would, instead of showing up late, instead of just going somewhere, they would, they would pray wherever they were at. They would make a show of themselves. And this doesn't mean we shouldn't pray in public. If you go out to lunch today and you're like, man, we typically pray before we eat. It's okay to pray. The question becomes, why are you praying in public? Are you praying in public because you want to uh, give thanks back to God? Or are you praying in public because you want others to look at you and go, oh, they're one of those. If we pray to receive, because we want others to think more highly of us, we've already received our reward. If you're praying with the heart that you want to give thanks and honor back to God, it is proper and appropriate for you to pray in public. There were others, though, that when they had the opportunity to pray, they, 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 would, just, they would just pile on words. And maybe, maybe they had a, a, an especially uh, uh, robust vocabulary. And they were like, you know, when I pray in public, I am going to use those $5 and $10 words. I want people to have to go home and look up words in the dictionary to figure out what I prayed to God that day. And maybe sometimes they would go and they would think they had to add all these different titles and descriptions to, but before the name of God so that God would hear them and think of them more, uh, more uh, appropriate to, to hear and, and more actually they would respond to their need, to their prayer. And so they would pile on titles and descriptions and, and words and, and they would think, hey, the more I speak, the more likely God will hear me. And this was a common practice in the pagan temples. 
They, they, would, they would add all these honorifics. They would add all these descriptions before the name of the deity, thinking that by doing so, they would court the favor of that, de- that deity, and then, then, that person, then, then that deity would respond in the way that they would want them to respond. This practice from, from pagan temples found its way into praying to God. They bring these same practices into their prayers to God and everything. Man, if I just if I add all these extra words, if I add all these extra descriptions, God will hear me. God will love me more. So Jesus said their connection to God was created. They, 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 they made it for a connection with God by public demonstrations of faith. It wasn't through the amount of the grandness of words that creates connection with God because our connection can only be created through intimacy. And what does Jesus say? He says, don't, don't, pray on this, don't pray loud and showy in the street corners. Don't add a whole bunch of extra words. Don't, don't, don't pray with big and, and showy words. Don't, don't show off when you pray. In fact, when you pray, you should go into your room. That word for room is like an interior closet. Maybe it was like the pantry of the house. It was a place where they would store things. Kind of a quiet space. You could go in there, be by yourself, and just be you and God. And you want to pray, go into your room and close the door. And there in secret, meet with your Father. And He will hear you and He will reward you. See, our connection with God is not created, it's not made, it's not even maintained through public demonstrations of faith, not through public prayers, not through, through uh, public uh, demonstrations of our faith, of our belief. It's in those quiet, private moments that true intimacy and true connection is made. See, God desires to meet us in the secret discipline, not just in the public demonstration. God desires to meet us in the, in the secret discipline and not just the public demonstration. See, simple, quiet prayers are often more effective than babbling recitations. And sometimes, they're, 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 and, and sometimes I feel like I do that. I'm like, oh, I get up here and you start praying. And then all of a sudden it's like, I don't know what I want to say. And so words just keep coming out of my mouth. In that moment, I'm trying to find the right word when I'm just saying a whole bunch of different words. And maybe you're like, man, I don't want to pray in public because I might get stuck. I might, what do I say? That's not so much we're talking about here. Quiet, simple prayers. Where you just communicate to God as you would a close friend. It doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be showy. It can just be sweet and simple and to the point. And it's not just re- re- reciting words. I don't believe the, the, the model of prayer, I don't believe this prayer was given to us as a prayer to be recited, though it's not necessarily a bad thing for us to recite together as, uh, as a community. But I think it was given to us as a guide about how simple and ba- basic prayer can be and should be. See, the bar of ent- entry into a prayer relationship with God was set low on purpose. It was set so low on purpose that anybody can clear it. You don't have to have a, a degree in theology. You don't have to know a whole lot of words. All you have to be is desire to have a relationship with God. You don't have to put on airs. You don't have to get all dressed up and fancy. You can just come before your father and talk with him. And so here's what we're going to see in contrast to the prayer of the hypocrites 
is that intimacy leads to influence. Intimacy leads to influence. The, the hypocrites would come, and they would pile on descriptions and, and many, many words, thinking that God would hear them better. But it's not their show that created connection. It was their heart. It was intimacy that was con- uh, developed through connection with the Father. And so how does Jesus start his prayer? He says, our Father. Our Father. He uses the word Abba. A few weeks back, we talked about uh, 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 the word Abba and how it is similar to our word for daddy. Not so much so in the realm of baby talk, but in that realm of connection and family intimacy. That, that, that there's, this, uh, that there's this relationship that is close enough that you, we can call God daddy. And more so than that, I want you to notice the simple word our, our father. He's not my father. He's not just your father, but he's our father. And so whether we pray together in a, in a, in a, a corporate setting like this, or we're praying in on our own at our house, he is still our father. And as we pray by ourselves, we are still joining in the community fellowship of praying to our father. There's still that, that, that uh, family connection with one another, even on our own. We get to experience that community with God and with others. Oftentimes in the American church, we have so overemphasized God's nearness that we've almost made it a bit irreverent. We with ideas that like Jesus is our buddy, or even the big man upstairs. And while we might overemphasize God's nearness and God's closeness to us. Judaism overemphasized God's transcendence to the point where that God was almost untouchable, that he was almost unapproachable. And both of these extremes can be dangerous. And so Jesus balances these two ideas by, on one hand, calling him daddy, but on the other hand, saying, hallowed be your name. He's not just daddy, he's also holy. And we we sit in that tension of him being close, but him being holy other, of him being perfect, of him being sinless. And Jesus is like, here's how he balances those two. He is our father who longs to hear from us, who longs for us to crawl up into his lap and share our deepest needs with him. But we also must recognize that he is completely holy. Hallowed be your name. He's as close as daddy bees, as transcendent a beauty as, as anything else because he's both heavenly and holy. And so this is how we properly balance our sonship, our daughtership. We reverence the person and the name God. And so with this proper perspective on who God is, what do we pray for? We pray for God's influence in our life. Because remember, Intimacy leads to influence. Intimacy leads to influence. So where, what do we want God to influence in our life? And the first thing we ask for his influence in is in our, is in our world. What Jesus says is, hey, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so when we think about this, when we think about God's holy, pleasing, perfect will, how well do you think that will is done in heaven? Anyone want to 
guess a percentage? I think it's probably safe to say 100%, right? I, 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 mean, I, I mean, not even 99.9. I think God's will in heaven is, is accomplished 100% of the time. Now, how would our world be different if God's will was accomplished 100% of the time here on earth? I'd say life would look a whole lot different, don't you? I'd say there'd probably be a lot less hate. We'd see greater togetherness. We'd see greater love for our neighbor. There'd be less strife. See, if God's kingdom were fully realized here on earth, I mean that more people were living out the words of Scripture. See, God in his holiness not allow us to live just however we want. He's a good father. but He doesn't just sit in heaven and give us whatever our hearts desire because he knows what is best for us. To God's person and God's truth, we lived out, if God's will was done perfectly on earth as it is in heaven, we would be living out his person, his truth as a guiding source for all of our lives. And so when we pray for God's kingdom come, do we truly want to align all of ourselves according to his will and his plan and not just our version of it? Sometimes we say we want God's will to be done, but really it's we want God to bless our will done in this place. There's a difference. Not just that we want God to bless our will, do we want to live out God's will in our time, in our space? So we ask for God's influence in our life, in our world, in our community. But we also ask for God's influence in our basic needs, to trust him for our basic needs. And he says, give us today our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. Bread is a, a staple food in most cultures around the world. But this is a very difficult prayer for most Americans to pray. Because many of us could go home and between our pantries, our fridges, and our freezers, we could probably eat for several days. So we're not so worried about our daily bread, right? When, and when we have no concern about where our next meal comes from, our immediate dependence upon God for our daily needs get a little bit lost. Maybe our prayer is, God, give us our yearly bread. Give us our monthly bread. Give, give us our bread for, because our daily needs are generally met throughout our country. So it creates this tension. How do we trust God when we so, have so thoroughly protected ourselves from difficult times? Yes, there, there are, there are uh, uh, verses in Scripture that say, hey, we should store up today. We should store up today for, for tomorrow. How do we wrestle with that tension of our daily needs, of God meeting our daily needs when we have built up such self-reliance? It's been said that to err is human, to forgive is divine. So we should also seek God's influence in our lives in the realm of forgiveness. Not just for ourselves, but for those who have harmed us. It says, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our 
debtors. See, our sin is a crushing blow to God. When we sin, what we say is, God, yeah, I know that you are king. I know that you are good. I know that you are holy. But, but just for this moment, why don't we just move you down here and let me sit on your throne? And you would think in, you know, in, in, in any other country where there's a monarchy, if you think in any other country where, there's, where there are heads of state, never would you say, hey, hey we're just going to take you down for a moment and, and let me run things. That'd be unthinkable, right? Yet we do that every day, the God of the universe. God, I know you know all things, but you get it wrong here. And so we're going to go my way. And so we create this debt between us and God. And debt is a, is a good way to view what our sins do. That there's this ledger maybe even between us and others. And they've, they've harmed me. They've hurt me in these areas. And sometimes it's a, it's a big debt and sometimes it's a small debt. And sometimes you can win others' favor back by, 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 by good deeds. But with God, no matter how many good deeds we do, we can never square our account with him. And so we are trusting, we, are, we need God's influence for forgiveness in our life. And it seems that there's this connection between our continued forgiveness, it's predicated on our, our actions of forgiving others. Why? Because forgiven people forgive. Forgiven people forgive others. Because we realize that how much we have been forgiven from, that, that we know that there are others in our life that they need us to extend forgiveness to them. We know how much we've been forgiven of. Shouldn't we extend that same forgiveness to those who have wronged us? You see, there's a difference. There's a difference between forgiveness and trust. Because, just because I, forgiveness is something that should be given, should be granted, should be given freely and easily. But trust, sometimes trust needs to be earned. If someone continues to, to take money from you, and they ask you, to, to, hey, can, can I borrow a couple bucks? Can I borrow a couple bucks? Can I borrow a couple bucks? I'll pay you back later. If they never pay you back, and you happen to find yourself a little short one month, and they say, hey, can I borrow a couple bucks? How quickly are you going to be to, hey, you might go, hey, you might, I'm not going to worry about the other times they've borrowed money from me. But I just may not be quite so quick to loan them or give them any more money. Think about the other areas of our life where people have hurt us. You might, you might begin to protect yourself in those situations. You forgive them for those times when they've hurt you. But maybe you just don't give them quite so much access to certain areas of your life. Forgiveness should be given because we've been forgiven. Sometimes trust needs to be earned. We ask God for his influence in, uh, in our community, in our world. We ask for God's influence as we trust him for our basic needs. We ask for God's influence as we, uh, as we seek forgiveness for both ourselves and as we forgive those around us. We ask for God's forgiveness and we seek him for wisdom and discernment. Jesus says it like this. He says, lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. One thing this verse is not saying is don't let me be tempted. Okay? Who here would prefer to live life without ever being tempted? And life would be so much easier, right? 
Like, do I want to go back for that extra piece of chocolate cake? Yes. Should I? Yes. No, right? No, 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 no. It's like, man, if it wasn't there, I wouldn't eat, right? Yeah. Life would be so much easier if we weren't tempted. What this verse is not saying is, God, don't let me be tempted. Because guess if, if Jesus was tempted, guess what? You're going to be tempted. None of us is, is going to be let off the hook. So, so praying the thing in this prayer is, do not let me be tempted. That's, that's irrational. Because if Jesus faced it, we will too. What this prayer really is saying is, is don't abandon me in the temptation. Don't, don't leave me alone. Don't let this temptation overwhelm me. Don't let me succumb to this temptation. And we know that this is a prayer that God will answer. Paul writes it this way in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Prayer is not, don't let me be tempted. Don't let me be overwhelmed. Don't let me lose this battle. And we know that God will answer this prayer, that he will help provide a way out for it, for us. Like we said last week, you know, our, our life can be lived by this kind of simple rule, though, to love God and to do as we please. Because if we truly please, if we truly love God, our heart will be set on trying to please him. We simply love God and do as we please. If we truly, truly love God, then our heart will be set on doing those things that we know will please and honor Him. So that bears true this week as well. If we truly seek to have intimacy with God, He will help us overcome temptation. Our spirit may be willing, but sometimes, sometimes our flesh is weak. And so we come before God, forgive us our debts. As we forgive those who are indebted us. See, the word that is used for tempted is also the word for test. And the difference between a temptation that is, is brought to us by Satan and a test that is given to us by God is the motive. Because Satan will throw an obstacle in our path to see if he will get us to fall. But God may allow us to go through a difficult time to raise us to a new level of maturity. Satan wants to see our downfall. God wants to see us grow stronger. He wants to see us grow closer to him. He wants us to have greater intimacy with him. And so he might put us in a situation that is uncomfortable. He might put us in a situation where he seems distant to help us to dig and desire. How, how great of a desire do we have for him? Will we keep going? Will he keep pursuing that we might grow stronger in our faith and our maturity. When we face temptation, God will provide a means for us to endure it and to overcome it. See, in our prayer, is that not we, that we don't face temptation, but that we are able to withstand and defeat Satan in that battle, in that place. See, God's influence in our life only comes through intimacy with him. We gain access into that intimacy through salvation. See, Jesus bought that on the cross for us. See, as sinners, before we've made Jesus our Savior, 
all we do is we see God as judge. That God will judge, be the judge of the wicked and the good. But when we come to him through salvation, we can begin to see God as father. Before we've accepted Jesus, God is just our judge. But once we've accepted Jesus as our savior, he becomes our father. That Jesus is the only beauty we must truly adore to live in the presence of God, both now and hereafter. Our sin separates us from God, but God chose to come and dwell among us for a while. And through Jesus, through his death on the cross, through his resurrection, we can regain our intimacy that was lost with God through sin. Jesus came and lived among us so that we might live with him forever. So if you need forgiveness, if you need to make Jesus your Savior, we want to help you in that journey. We want to help you take that step. And you can let us know by going to cchmd.com connect. By filling out the connection card there and going down the road there and clicking on the box, become a Christian. We'd love to, to walk with you through that process and help you uh, make Jesus your Savior. You can also simply text LIFE to 240-347-0897. You might move into a place where you can, be, you can truly become God's son or daughter. He can become your father, and you can begin to grow in your connection and intimacy with him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you that you have brought us to this place that we can gather here in your name at this time to love and to worship you. Father, I pray that you would help us to further our connection with you. Father, to to see you as our, our, our good, good father. Father, you'd use us to help others know you. Father, I pray that you would help us today to to draw close to you. That prayer would be a way that we would grow in our communication, grow in our connection. That, Father, we would allow your influence to grow in our life. Father, thank you that you allow us to call you Father. That we can be your sons and daughters through the price that your son paid for us on the cross. It's in Jesus' name I pray.